In today's episode, we talk about Spelljammer with Dungeon Tape, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roaming Player Gear. Roaming Player Gear is a tabletop gaming company that provides affordable and versatile tabletop gaming products. What I love about their products is that you can purchase any of their dice trays, dice towers, or any other products and use it across multiple gaming systems. For example, if you've been playing D&D for a while, but you now want to start playing Star Wars Legion, you can take the dice trays and dice towers that you've purchased and start utilizing it for Star Wars Legion. In addition to that, you can buy one of their dice trays or dice towers and still have room in your budget to purchase the core rule books or anything else you need for whatever system you're playing. Now, if this is something that is going to interest you and that you and your players are going to be able to utilize, I highly recommend going to roamingplayergear.com, link in the description, and use the code word ROAMING20 at checkout for 20% off your final purchase. Again, that's ROAMING, R-O-A-M-I-N-G, 2-0, to receive 20% off your final purchase. Three, two, one. Joshua, my friend, how are you? I'm doing well. It's really nice to be back here with you. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to speak with the Supreme Chancellor of all things. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, I, you, I, this is the first where I've received some sort of royalty on the show. Just saying. Well, I, I assure you the pleasure is all yours. Thank you. Thank you. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I am beyond excited. And oh. I'm actually excited to talk about our, our topic of the day and of this episode, which is Spelljammer slash sci-fi when, in, when involving like D&D. And I oh. think it's pretty, pretty epic because I, we've talked about Star Wars here. We've talked about Warhammer, you know, Warhammer 40K specifically. And we've talked about how sci-fi is a huge influence, but I don't think we ever spoke about like Spelljammer and what Spelljammer was. And for a lot of folks out there who are new to D&D, right? If y'all came in around fifth edition or, you know, third, fourth, you know, whatever, you came in, Spelljammer wasn't really a thing. And I don't think, I personally don't think it's going to show up anytime soon. I think mm-hmm. Dragonlance is probably going to be the next book. I don't know. Did you hear about the next book that they're coming out with? They have like a surprise book that's coming out, I think, in the middle of summer or something like that. I think that's about as much as I heard. I, I just kind of heard people talking about it. I have, I've been really bad at staying up on the books since COVID. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I, I hear that. I'm, yeah. I see a new book, like I got Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and that was, it's been pretty good. But yeah. I'm excited because I think the next big book is going to be uh, Dragonlance, which I don't know. Did you read the, the the books back in the day? I no, not really. Okay, I'm I've, I'm I'm the I mean, as Supreme Chancellor, I don't have to mm-hmm. justify my existence to you don't. anybody. Obviously, <laughs> you don't. I'm royalty. But exactly. uh, should the peasants ask? Uh, <laughs> I, I was raised of the nerd style where I just read Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit like 40 times as a kid. And that was like the extent of it. I was like way into it, but I didn't really, I wasn't really able to branch out. Ah, so um, a man yeah. of culture, I see. Yeah, that's exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, so no, I didn't get to. I didn't read Dragonlance. I, in my adult life, I've read some of Pierce Anthony's uh, World of Xanth novels. Those those trash fantasies, but that was. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like those are far like much different than Dragonlance. Well, it's one of those things that. So I, I've you know I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. Lord of the Rings is probably the most pivotal point of my um how should i say this of my nerd career because you know at least for me um lord of the rings really man i was i remember when they when um christopher tolkien came out with children of Hurin, which is part of the cimmerillion and all that stuff but they came out with the actual book where like told you know christopher tolkien was like oh this is my father's notes and i'm just basically putting them together yeah Yeah. i was like ah another thing i must read and i literally read it seven hours straight like yeah man my dad and i were going to ohio well we lived in north carolina and we were going up to ohio to pick my brother up from school and i read in like seven or eight hours just through the night my dad was like are you gonna sleep and i'm like not now (laughs) he's like i really brought you along for company too but you're that's fine (laughs) yeah i don't i don't need but you know since he's the one that introduced me to lord of the rings and the hobbit he was like oh what's that about and i'm like it's the cimmerillion dad Uh just wouldn't uh understand you know being being a smart ass to my dad so you know (laughs) but yeah no uh with the dragonlance books and going back to like spelljammer that those were two things that i think a lot of folks um Especially, I think of when I think of, um, I you know when I think of D and I think of like Spelljammer. I think of Dragonlance. But in this case, mm-hmm. since we're talking about Spelljammer, like Spelljammer was really the original slash old school like science fiction. It was hey, yeah. what would happen if we merged the two together? What would happen if mm-hmm. we brought you know this fantasy world with dwarves and orcs and whatever and did it in space yeah is that where they started to introduce uh illithids i believe so someone's gonna probably quote me and quote us and tell us that we're wrong but i think yeah i I think that's when the illithids like first came to being or at least that's when it was justified because you saw a lot of folks say oh you see a spaceship crash and it's an illithid Uh i think that's where it is i know that um because I know that uh, Spelljammer came into like it was during Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, aka Second Edition, which right. you know, thanks to the Wikipedia for refreshing me. Because obviously, <laughs> um, I will forget if if I don't have it. But yeah, no, like you know, just the fun facts. Like yeah, Jeff Grubb was the, the was the lead designer. But this is during the TSR times, so mm-hmm. this is going to be completely, which. I have some of the old school, like advanced Dungeons and Dragons books, which I actually, I really like, and I draw a lot of inspiration from, sure. but I draw a lot of inspiration from things like Spelljammer because from what I've read and what I know of Spelljammer, just from my other DMS, it's, it was really that first attempt to bring fantasy esque genre into space, <clears throat> like astrophysics, it's a topic that we in the real world talk about, 
but they made an attempt to m- make it fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they made like, oh, you have a, you know, almost looks like a galleon, right? That's mm-hmm. your spaceship. It didn't yeah. resemble a spaceship like in traditional. It kind of, did you remember the movie Treasure Planet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what Spelljammer yeah. was. That makes sense. That that makes sense because kind of the, just from Googling and kind of the images I got was, um, uh, yeah, space pirates and stuff like that. There was a movie, what was it, Stardust? I think I know what you're talking about. Rabbit Hole. It was a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah, Stardust. And they had uh, uh, kind of like sky pirates that were harvesting lightning Mm. bolts. And I kind of assume that it's similar in vibe. Well, and that's where like, you know, most folks know that I I really love Planescape. And like Planescape, Mm. that setting where, or rather, I, I I wouldn't even call Planescape a setting. I know mm-hmm. that might be controversial, but we are controversial on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, we're really pushing boundaries. Yeah, we're pushing we're pushing boundaries of oh, maybe you should add an extra dice. Oh <laughs> no, um with- well let's not go too far down <laughs> down the down the edgy rabbit hole there. Like so no theater of the mind? So no no just miniature. I don't remember what that is. I've I'm sold on roll twenty. I <laughs> Yeah, if they've killed the theater in my mind it's burned down yeah no it's closed not um, never gonna be open for business oh but shit no. planescape looks cool no i never played planescape this. This was, was awesome. dope planescape was awesome and i definitely took that and made it my own but oh, it's on steam sorry yeah i'm telling excited. you no like planescape and the setting of planescape for like from a D perspective uh-huh. was like that's how you unified all the lore so like you okay. know everything from at least from a planescape perspective like that was on the the prime material plane so Mm -hmm. basically the multiverse theory essentially Mm -hmm. like yeah okay you you can planescape to dragonlance or planescape to eberron or Mm -hmm. planescape to the forgotten realms or go to uh raven castle ravenloft you know stuff like that so cool but what spelljammer did is that they said hey let's do that but from a co- uh, from like a cosmological perspective okay so you would take your ship you would have adventures on your ship because in some spell jammer campaigns the ship itself was a world uh-huh. you were going to that world maybe you woke up from like the reality type thing and oh you're on a ship going to another world or you're going cool. to you're a ship traveling and now there's other ships that you have to fight off so like there was a lot of mechanics and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. you know one thing that i actually like want to ask you is do you think that D &D needs to kind of revamp something like that or do you think D D should just stick to fantasy i think i think if there ever was a time for it now would be it because fifth edition is more flexible than others and less role like mechanic-y heavy mm-hmm. um i think now would be a really cool time to try it that being said one of the biggest benefits that wizards of the coast has going for it is its deep uh history in the fantasy world yeah and so i mean this is just me uh my opinion and speculation but it doesn't seem like they 
maybe they don't have the writing staff to do that now. It would have to be a project for them. Because gotcha. I feel like their whole staff and company is geared towards fantasy, which they do really well. And they've only really focused on the Forgotten Realms and really they've branched off a little bit into Eberron. Well, okay, not branched off. They they have done Eberron, mm-hmm. at least with 5th edition. You know, yeah. past editions I'm not going to vouch for, but they've really gone, like Forgotten Realms is pretty much like the meat and potatoes right now. Mm-hmm. Eberron was another one. Uh, they touched on Avernus. Yeah, they touched on Avernus. They touched on Eberron. They touched on Wildmount because now that's official, Dean. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, like even though that's Matt Mercer's brainchild, that's now mm-hmm. part of the canon, like official canon. So, which is very smart on their part to do that and not like <laughs> not drive a wedge between their fans and Matt Mercer fans. Yeah, because the thing is, it's like Matt Mercer and the Critical Role cast, like quite literally, could say, "Oh, we're done with you," and just—I mm-hmm. mean, look at what they did with Geek and Sundry. Like, yeah. for whatever reason, I'm not going into the politics of it, but they said, "Okay, hey, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, we're gonna do our own thing," and they brought their hundreds of thousands of fans and followers yeah. to their own Twitch stream. So it's and made their own company. So it's like, yeah, yeah. you know. That makes more sense. So I, I, I commend Wizards of the Coast for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And plus, you don't want to drive wedges in the industry, man. Yeah, no. I can so, definitely see Wizards of the Coast. What I would do if I were them, and this is free business advice, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, mm-hmm. um, I would I would kind of almost start to create a new game that's outside of the world of D&D. Like I wouldn't call it Dungeons and Dragons. I would go Mm. outside of it, but the rules would just be remarkably similar. Mm. And you could overlap if you wanted, but I feel like the lore in D&D is just set. Yeah, it's so, there's such a rich history. And what I like about, and this is the thing where I'm like, okay, part of me says yes, and I agree with you, now is the time to come up with an official spell jammer rule set. And that's yeah. where maybe I would say is the difference. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily have a spell jammer setting. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be awesome. But if I had to choose, I would prefer what, you know, like I would prefer a, what do you do if you want to run spell jammer in fifth edition? Yeah, Here you go. Here's, you know, if that if that book provides us the setting, great. If it's a small book, maybe, you know, X amount of pages, maybe 25. I think 25 pages would be good mm-hmm. um, with no art. Right. Yeah. Um, something small like that that says, hey, this is how you could run Spelljammer if you decided to. Yeah. Um, in fifth edition. I think that would be great because, you know, we already have the open gaming license with yeah. fifth edition compatible XYZ, mm-hmm. that there are so many things. I mean, dude, have you seen all the things that are fifth edition compatible like that people have written? Oh yeah, they're awesome. I mean, that's almost what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I would actually rather just see someone do a magic jammer or whatever like term yeah. you have to use. I mean, dude, just roll it out, even using the old school style. Yep. That would be cool. That'd be yep. sick. That actually, that would, with the old school art, with all that kind of like, you know paying homage to that and that would be such a great thing i just personally feel that we um 
in the community would also benefit from just a simple rule set. Okay. If you're mm-hmm. going to do this, then here's how to approach it officially. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's how you maintain balance. Exactly. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that it's still D and D like you can D from a fifth edition rules perspective. It's so easy to actually just create stuff mm-hmm. for fifth edition. Don't yeah. reinvent the wheel, just create something that goes with it. I mean, yeah. you know, not to go off topic, but you know, what we mentioned earlier about all those fifth edition rule or fifth edition compatible games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, there's dude, there's mass effect, there's Pokemon, there's yeah, Star yeah. Wars, you know, so there's all, I mean, I'm naming mass effect and star Wars just cause it's more sci-fi. Yeah. Um, but there's that. So I why- read through the star Wars rule set and it was great. I haven't played, but I read through the rules and the classes and stuff. And I was kind I'm- of enamored with it. I'm actually thinking about starting a Star Wars 5th edition game. You should. And, and this is kind of along the same lines that we're like, we've talked about before and this, like maybe starting fresh with a new world and setting would be a good way of breaking a lot of the old stereotypes that mm. uh, high fantasy is pretty much just chained to. What Can you um, go into that a little bit? Because I, yeah. I want to see... Um, I want to see where you're going because I, I kind of understand, but well, like we've we like the big discussion um, with D and D and like you and I talked about, I think last time is like are orcs always evil or is that a stereotype that needs to be broken or like are dwarves just one way or can we compare them to I think you and I compared them to like a Slavic countries where it's like a yeah. really deep rich history and like maybe dwarves have fantastic are known for their writing and that's just like not a stereotype that's been put into the high fantasy tropes anymore yeah, true. and so maybe like creating a whole new setting would be a, a good way of just decoupling for ourselves from the words elves dwarves orcs yep and we can kind of create these new races that don't have any baggage and then kind of come up with yeah whatever these things are called like there's good ones there's bad ones like sure some drink a lot of ale but also some don't and it's not that uncommon you can't just see one and assume like a something of dwarfs like you can't just see them say ah look they're gonna drink ale and like be goofy yeah it might be a good starting point that's that's a really good idea and honestly that's a great thought because we often and especially in high fantasy right we you have the stereotypical like party composition which is like an elf mage a yeah. dwarf cleric or a dwarf fighter in plate yeah. mail, a human ranger or wizard, or and then the old, like you have the old guy who's a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Like, or the orc barbarian or the gnomish rogue, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, gnome, gnome or halfling. And yeah. it's like, and it's like, okay, that's cool. And that mm-hmm. is quintessential fantasy in the regards of that was that's what was written so that's where a lot of people associate but is that really the thing that you want to do like do you really want to have those stereotypes right what does it add yeah and honestly like from a spell jammer perspective right like and i think that's what they tried to do mm-hmm. i think that spell jammer tried to say hey let's come up with something different let's kind of detach ourselves from the stereotypical elves do this dwarves do that even Mm -hmm. though technically they kind of continued it and kind of pushed it Mm -hmm. i I, you know doing and actually based upon our last episode together the con you know we spoke about the lord of the rings and um you know how tolkien was apparently people were saying that tolkien wasn't 
you know, compared certain races in their, in the Lord of the Rings to races in human in, in like the world. Yeah. And actually digging further into that, it was, it was, um, what's the word disproved or dis disproven. Thank you. It's disproven by, um, his son spoke about it because, you know, his son was obviously like the executor of the estate, but a lot of other folks who knew Tolkien at the time, Mm -hmm. actually he was a big advocate against, um, he was one of the big ones in England about, uh, he, he did a lot of anti-racist things. Interesting. Yeah. He advocated a lot. Well, also they contributed to his personal faith because he believed that everyone was made in like God's image. So like, he was like that. He was like, it would be illogical for a God to create, you know, if I believe in this God, it would be illogical for me to say that I call myself this when it clearly says that everyone was made in his image and likeliness. So I was like, damn Tolkien. Yeah. you didn't that makes sense because he was an avid like we like uh cult, he studied culture and linguistics and so yep. he got into cultures and he at least the ones he studied he knew that like the stereotypes were untrue and he was a smart guy so he probably extrapolated that to all cultures like yeah, yeah he he the, the you know a lot of folks uh, may or may not know this but like he wrote the lord of the rings and that mit rather the middle the, uh, the middle earth and the mythos of that because he felt that England, and they don't, they don't have a culture outside of Anglo-Saxon, you know, yeah. and uh, Scandinavian culture. When the Anglo-Saxons invaded, they wiped out everything that the uh, native English, so like the Wodes and the Picts, mm-hmm. they wiped it all completely off the map. Yeah, they yeah. Very purposely. Per- yeah, purposely, because that's what you do when you conquer, at least that's what you did back in the day. If you want to demoralize a group, yeah erase their history so he said well you know we're gonna create our own mythos because king arthur is not really there's welsh versions you know there's a welsh version there's an english version i think there's even a scottish version and then there's like you know there's like the oh my gosh well no the irish have the tuatha de danan and all that stuff but the point is like there's a lot of different variations of king arthur so he was like "Mm, that's not necessarily english like that's That's if, if we're going to, and again, being someone who had fought in World War One and is now living post-World War Two, right? How do we unite all of England? Well, not through war, maybe through literature. So let me create this thing where people can like, you know, be behind. Yeah. And anyone can identify with it because it doesn't really rule anybody out. Yeah. And that's where, you know, with Spelljammer, I think that's what I, I don't want to assume because obviously like, unless you were in TS, you know, we were not in TSR during that time, during the publication and during, and in the minds of those creators. But I wonder if it'd be one of those things where I wonder if they tried to break away from the stereotypes of fantasy and create their own. I would love to get my hands on some of those early Spelljammer AD&D books that kind of read through it. That would be awesome because I think like, especially from a historical perspective, right? We can kind of break down and see, okay, what was the plan here? What was the point of this? Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, we can say, okay, how can we convert this into fifth edition into my world? Because let's be honest, 
if you're playing in D and D, right? There, ha- you're playing in the material plane, rather. That's mm-hmm. where that's where it is set. I think yeah. there are certain things that Fifth Edition does well, and that is saying, okay, you all can do whatever you want, but these are the rules that you have to at least kind of abide by or like you know gives you the foundation yeah i always think of 5e as a physics engine more than a a game oh okay like it regulates what you can and can't do but it doesn't tell you it doesn't give you any railroads it's just like nope you can't jump that high sorry yeah versus if you do jump that high this is what you're gonna do or this is what yeah. yeah like it, it kind of gives, and what I've noticed is that it gives you the freedom to really, do you really want to do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back to Matt Mercer's quote. Yeah. You can try. Yeah, sure. exactly. Which hopefully one day Matt Mercer listens to this podcast. Just <laughs> Well, now that, uh, now that I've called him out by name, I mean, I'm sure he's an avid fan of me and Dun- of Dungeon Tape and the Supreme Chancellor of That's Higher true. Fantasy. So That's true. I'll, I'll have my people call his people and we'll, I'll get him on your show. That's my favor to you. Listen, I, I would appreciate it. That would, I, w- I would be further in your debt. You know, <laughs> that, that's fine with me, man. Yeah. But, but no, so uh, sorry, I interrupted, but 5e does really well. Like the, the material realm. Yeah. Yeah. And we want, I would like to see, especially now in this age of technology mm-hmm. where we're really not, we're not even like at the iceberg like we are, you know, we haven't exposed the full thing. We're really at the tip of the iceberg. And yeah. like, it would be cool to say, okay, you, we focus on the material plane. We dove into Avernus. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Let's dive deeper into Avernus. But because we're already doing this thing, let's put out something outside. Let's put something out in the, uh, in, in space, in the, in the mm-hmm. cosmos, which is in between the different planes of existence. Yeah. 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 That would be cool. It's yeah. And where they have written about the different planes, it sounds fascinating and like super yeah. exotic and otherworldly and like the normal rules don't apply. And they really love making those big statements, but it's like, I actually want to go there. Like, yeah that's the thing i want to go there. cool my story can continue there mm-hmm. why can't see my thing is this why do we have to wait to be level 20 to go to space like that's a that's a typical like in my yeah. opinion that's it's something that a lot of folks <laughs> kind of think about it's like okay level one through five you're doing these things or orcs and goblins got it yeah exactly and then or one through four and then five <coughs> five Sorry. or no, one through five and then six through 10, it's like you six through 10. It's like, okay, maybe, excuse me, maybe a giant. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you're dealing with a giant. Maybe you have something. And then I think like 11 through 15, it's like a dragon. Yeah. You deal with your first, you're, you're really going to fight your first dragon. Dragons. You got like some liches in there, some spooky boys. Yep. Spooky boys with an eye. Yeah. Um, and I would actually say a beholder probably around that, you know, second or third tier of yeah. play. Yeah. And then you got like, okay, 16 through 20 and you're de- you're fighting Tiamat. You're fighting gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's all still in the material realm. 
or material plane. Exactly. Like give us something where, oh, this beholder now knows how to travel in between planes and you need mm-hmm. the plane, the rules for Spelljammer to follow. Yeah. Because because sometimes it's like, hey, how about if I wanted to like chase this bandit, right? Mm-hmm. Through, I mean, okay. Actually, I have a better idea. I would create a campaign that you are chasing one person, one particular evil person uh-huh. throughout different planes of existence. Yeah. So hopping through different planes using Spelljammer. So like, oh, they go into space. Now you got to chase them to get to where they're at. Yeah. Because for some reason, the typical, you know, I would even say, okay, you can't do interplane or inter like, yeah, you can't do like any type of like plane shift, right? Mm -hmm. Because something's wrong with that form of magic. So now you got to use quote unquote technology. Yeah. Travel. I also really like the idea that you're chasing this person in planes and then your party goes there. But whenever you're in the Spelljammer world, like they don't know what magic is. And like, you're the weirdos for using magic and they just have technology, which is similar. Yep. But it's like, you draw a lot of attention, but it also makes it easier to track the other guy. Cause you're like, Oh, the guy who like casted light. Yeah. That was really weird. He didn't use our flashlights. Yeah. He didn't use this thing called electricity. Like he they yeah. formed it out of thin air and yeah. actually that, and that's another great thing. Like how what are the things that you can add from a spell jammer perspective? Mm-hmm. Well, you can most likely now say, okay. Yeah, Cause I think like TSR thought too mechanical versus story. And I think that's well, that, one of the reasons yeah. why we don't have it right now. Yeah. And also, well, so spell jammer came out in like 89, right? If I remember yeah. the wiki page that yeah. was, on the heels of, I guess Star Wars was probably still coming out the first three. So it started at like 72, 77, somewhere in there. So I think Return of the Jedi yeah. had either just come out or actually, let me double check. Yeah. So, but, but essentially, there was like just this burgeoning sci fi world. And then, but those were like very mechanical, heavy. Like essentially it was sci-fi but pre like super mo- modernization like with like internet and computers so so 83 so return of the jedi came out in okay. 83 but so, if, yeah. if you think about it though you're on the right you you're completely right we are at they that was at the the cusp of sci-fi everything right thundercats if you yeah. think about it thundercats was like it's fantasy but mm-hmm. sci-fi yeah. like he-man but that specific um, sci-fi that was like pre-computers, yeah, pre-internet sci-fi, like where they didn't actually know any like what the future would be, and nope. they were guessing like like early Star Trek is hilarious. Yeah, no, and it's like oh, we have this thing that's called a compute a computation device. Like, uh-huh. you know, it's a very it almost sounds this weird archaic language because mm-hmm. they didn't know they were just kind of like, well, we're just gonna pretend what we know that we know this so yeah yeah even like the later star treks with uh like deep space nine and stuff like they kind of predicted like the ipad it was just digital readers yeah but they didn't predict the storage size on them at all and so it was just like you could only have 
five sheets of paper per electronic and they just had stacks of iPads on their desk instead of just one. Yeah. And, and that, and that's the thing, like you wouldn't come up with that unless you, um, unless you really knew yeah. about the technology. For sure. And that's where I kind of, I, I chuckle at that because I'm like, okay, we are, you know, we, we created this thing, the spell jammer thing in an era where we weren't advanced in technology. Like we were, but we weren't. Right. I, I yeah, I really like the idea of re, revamping Spelljammer, but continuing with the old art and the old technology as like almost like sci-fi campy. I think well, that Yeah, be- well, why not? Because yeah. in, in, in the way I think about it, and I don't know what I don't know what you would say. The but exact opposite. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. I disagree already, but go on. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate your mercy, Supreme Chancellor. Yeah. Um, I, I thought, okay, if you were to create a Spelljammer campaign or a Spelljammer book, mm-hmm. and it would have that, okay, yeah, your your ship is a galleon for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe surrounded by a force field so that you yeah. don't lose oxygen or whatever. Sure, yeah, you can write that easy. Yeah, you can easily write that. But give me something where it's like, okay, what are the yeah you're gonna need some basic mechanics but i could see it where you're like you're not you're just gonna have some like space age like oh this computation device and yada 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 even and just like in an era that oh it's a computer like yeah this phone that we have in our pockets can literally hold more data Mm -hmm. than the first computer that brought folks to the moon yeah did did I ever tell you the ending to the first big campaign I ran? No, you did not. Um, so I had this essentially a two-year campaign. It was two campaigns kind of, but they were in the same world. Okay. The, the, I, so I guess it was the end of the second one. Anyway, the first campaign, they accidentally let loose uh, Vecna and then the second, and then they all died. Just accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just a little on accident. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, they pushed the button that said, please push here without thinking about it. And then Vecna was out. Uh, Vecna came out, killed them all. And then the next campaign was there were just people in that town that Vecna had like reappeared in. Uh-huh. And they were dealing with the aftermath. But um, that campaign went on for like a long time. And essentially the whole two years, the campaigns were just kind of full of pop culture references and just from me being like trying to introduce a little humor and being a novice dm and like kind of being uncomfortable with a lot of the high fantasy like names and stuff Mm -hmm. but how the whole thing ended was they were fighting a dragon but then they they killed the dragon and then they woke up in space and the whole DD adventure had been a stasis program and that was just like used to like keep their like like their reactions sharp and stuff like their teamwork abilities up and they were soldiers on a spaceship that was being attacked and they were like brought out of stasis early. And then they had to fight through uh, these aliens attacking a spaceship and they were like kind of confused. I was like, that's because you just woke up. But they like, the druid was like, well, how do I do this? I'm like, just justify it. I have some ideas, but yeah, just say it's space things. And we had a really fun, just like last two sessions fighting through a spaceship. That's legit, dude. Yeah, that's- it was cool. You see, and I think that just having read a little bit, um, just a couple of different articles, 
before this uh, podcast, there was actually someone who used to talk about that example in Space Jammer. It, you, they, they tried TSR, I think, tried to push that. Tried to oh, say, yeah? nice. oh, you, you know, you're a space druid. Uh-huh. You are in this ship and you just woke up. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were taken from a planet. I don't know. Yeah. So, but I like that idea though, dude, that, that, see, that's, that's a brilliant way to merge the two and say, okay, mm-hmm. you're now in, you know, you just woke up and now you're playing space jammer. Now you say, okay. So for that, it would behoove you to say, okay, same rules y'all. It is yep. the same thing, but here's the conversion. Yep. You're a druid. So this is what it means from a space, from a spell jammer space mm-hmm. type setting. Yeah. If you're a fighter, Okay, pretty much the same, just you get a blaster. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it would be a really cool, really easy, like, tutorial level where there's, like, you know, you go to different rooms and each one has a bad guy, but they only want to fight the druid. And then, like, you kind of run through their powers really quick and you're like, okay, this is how you explain it. Almost create it video game-like. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like I, I, I think, tutorial. Yeah, which I think is really important in these games just because it's something we all like understand. We've played through tutorial levels a hundred times. Absolutely. Yeah. Any game that you play, it's pretty much tutorial. Like I think they have to, or you might, they might not like the game. Oh, Oh shit. Sorry. I just remembered how that actually like transition happened from D and D to space. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a wizard that joined the party halfway through and he wanted to be Warforged, and his name was Enoch. And so how I actually, him coming into the game gave me this idea. And so he was actually the onboard computer of this, the spaceship. Oh. And like his server was broken. So he was in the game as a wizard, but just a robot wizard. He looked like a Johnny Five. Nice. And, um, and so for some reason, early on his backstory, he was like, oh, he was like a drug addled robot. So he got like TV commercials. And so he was obsessed with the Chiquita banana lady. <laughs> and so all through the game, he had like this wild magic thing. And so whenever he did wild magic, I would play him on YouTube, like old school commercials. Okay. And that was like him getting visions of a different world, but he was obsessed oh. with Chiquita banana. And so what I did, I found a software company called ITA Software and they actually right. designed a bunch of... Um, kind of the back-end software for booking plane tickets. Uh, Google bought them at some point, and so I played them a newscast of ITA software, like just TV commercials. And then I rectified that, like he was trying to, like his computer program was trying to run a uh, troubleshoot program or like a self-diagnosis. So instead of Chiquita, it was actually check ITA. And that's why he was obsessed with Chiquita the whole time. And he finally found her and she's like, hey, Enoch, you have to execute me. You have to kill me. And he was like, I don't want to kill you. You're my goddess. And he's like, no, she's like, no, you have to execute me. So he had to execute the troubleshooting program, which was check ITA. And then as soon as he like cut slit her throat, the whole world dissolved and their stasis pods started popping open one by one. Dude. Yeah, it was cool. That's epic, man. Yeah, like- it was a fun ending. And then like, yeah, we we're on the space station and then he didn't have a physical body on the space station. He would just be able to heal people or like shoot electricity out of the walls because he was like the integrated computer. It was yeah, cool. Yeah, so he could kind of like, kind of like a Jarvis. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. That's awesome. See, yeah, that's, that's how that all ended up. That's the type of stuff that like I, you know, 
the fifth edition has given us so so many tools that it's like do we really oh actually this might be very controversial do we really <laughs> need any more settings or do we just need the tools mm-hmm. to show people how to create their own D setting i i mean that's basically what i've taken up as my mantra for my position in the D community is just helping helping people utilize our creativity in the settings we have. Yeah. Like, I, I think we talked about, like, I'm a firm believer. I love all the accounts that show like new items that do like goofy things. That's really cool. But what I'm into is just like, I want a basic fucking sword. That's rad. Like, I don't care about the pluses or bonuses or weird abilities. Like this is my sword. That's like, I made it from the soles of the shoes that I, people I killed. And it's just like this rough leather I've, I've pounded into being like sort of sharp. And that's my level one sword. Like you I want to see that creative stuff. Or even, and actually my, um, a, my, a friend of ours, Charles, AKA Aloha Dungeon Crawl. Um, mm. He is, you know, we've talked about this. We want to, you know, how that level one adventurer. Well, mm. how do they become an adventurer? Well, they're yeah. not going to have a cool epic sword. Maybe what they do is like, I, you know, I took the sword from my father's, from the mantle uh, mm-hmm. to fight off, you know, uh, a raid. Yeah. And then that's when they become an adventurer, right? You just described Mulan, but yes. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, but that, but that's, but Mulan was a first level adventurer. I'll make a barbarian out of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, you know, let's get down to business. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, it's it's one of those things that, but that's, and actually that's a great point. Mulan didn't have a, you know, yeah, had a spirit guide and whatnot. At, well, if you see the Disney, like the Disney yeah. cartoon version, but really take the father's sword, fight, you know, defend the homeland. Cool. Yeah. Technically like, that sword doesn't have any magical abilities. It's the thought behind it. It is, this right. is, this is a relic to me. So that's where for like, especially with this podcast, with the bearded nerd, you know, when I first started it, it was my way of showing, Hey, from a world build, you know, how to be a better world builder, how to yeah, really sure. implement things that from a story perspective and a world building perspective is going to make your game better. Yeah. And it's that simple trope of, Okay, what it you know does it develop or build the character more? If it does, then go for it. Hundred um, percent. You know, and it's kind yeah. of like you know I've noticed that, and especially with the things that you're making with Dungeon Tape, man, like it's really one of those products. And and again, I'm not, I'm not saying it because you're here. I really do think that. <laughs> well, I really do think that your tape is something where it's like, if I were to get your tape, and have it right at you know at my game store, right. I'm running late, but I'm hosting a game and, you know, pre or post or during COVID times, I, I'm not, you know, yeah. for whatever times it's the fact that I'm running a game and I don't have terrain, but I can pull up the tape. Great. Because now I can focus. I don't have to focus on terrain. I can just focus yeah. on the story. Yeah. I think the biggest hindrance in D and D is the disconnection between our mental creativity and then the actual playing of the game. And so that's where I would dungeon tape. I'm just trying to be a catalyst for getting your own creativity in your brain onto the paper or onto a place where your players can instantly like it's accessible to them. 
mm-hmm. uh, rather than like interesting. Like I'll let the DMs like come up with the creative and interesting stuff. I just want them to be able to put it in front of their players and it to be understood. Um, yeah, and and that's where like for me, it's like I want folks to see the things that the ideas that I share and say, mm-hmm. oh, I can copy and paste this into my world. Yeah. You know, any Absolutely. magic item that I create, any generator thing that I create, oh, I can copy and paste this and just use it in my game. Cool. 100%. And, and that's uh, where I love, like, honestly, man, and, and actually wanted something I want to ask because it's been a bit, it's been, yeah. you know, uh, a couple of episodes. Like, what are you working on now? Like, what, you I, got anything down the line that you're working on? Um, oddly enough, it's, uh, I do. Uh, I'm... Hopefully in the next few weeks, I'm going to start a new Kickstarter. I'm rolling out a new line of dungeon tape. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I'm working with this great artist, uh, Rasa Morrison. She's fucking phenomenal. And okay. so whereas my last set of dungeon tape was kind of like the, the, I called it the base pack. It's just kind of the basics needed for buildings and dungeons. Uh-huh. This is uh, on topic with the planar stuff. This is an uh, interplanar pack. And okay. so it's going to have wall, the tapes are all going to be walls for right now. I'll probably do some additions, but uh, it's tapes, uh, walls for the air, water, earth, fire planes, as well as ethereal Ooh. and astral. See, that's pretty cool because again, so, man, we don't have those settings. We don't, yeah. because we don't have those settings, we don't have that terrain. Exactly. And it's like tough to get to them. And so what I'm doing for the Kickstarter, and I'll probably just keep, publishing this with the tapes i'm writing what i'm calling a waypoint module to go along with the pack to get people to introduce people to the planes okay and i'm calling it a waypoint module because it's not like a fully fleshed out module like i'm not gonna have stats for anybody because because i want this to be applicable to any campaign and any level of people because i like what you said like you shouldn't have to be level 20 to go to the other planes because by then you're tired of your characters and you just fought a dragon. Yeah. But, or, or you just fought Tiamat. And yeah. so uh, instead of chasing someone through the planes, which is honestly a better idea, but I've already started on mine, we'll work together on another uh, interplanal module. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, but mine is the, <laughs> the business adventure of Mold- Moldo Onesco, the business wizard. I like it. Yeah. So his name's, Moldo Onesco, which is a different spelling of the Italian phrase Molto Onesto, which is very trustworthy, but he's uh-huh. very shady. <laughs> and like, this is based off a character I played for like a one-off. Um, but yeah, so he's a business wizard and essentially he has shop outposts in each of the planes. And he's looking for an intrepid group of adventurers to take like this cart of goods to each one. Okay. And so he, uh, gives you an entrance to the fire plane and that's where you start Mm -hmm. and then you go to the city of brass and then you go through the earth plane and deliver goods to that shop and each shop kind of has like because they're dangerous each shop has to have like a small dungeon in front of it so i'm going to draw like maps for each dungeon and like ideas for it and i'm going to give the care the shopkeepers for each one as well as like random tables for things that might happen along the way Mm -hmm. It's basically like a trade route quest from like old school uh, MMORPGs. That's cool, dude. I like yeah. that idea. And it's just, it's purely just to get people from uh, one plane to the next and like kind of give DMs 
like what we talked about before, like the scaffolding to build their full campaigns around. Yeah. And I just want this to be a catalyst for any veteran or new DM to introduce these radical new worlds to their players and not be limited to the material plane. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think that's, you see, that's a pretty cool um, concept where, well, first off, the waypoint manual is pretty cool. Like just having that, that mini adventure, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But the fact that you're creating terrain in a, in really a, we're not even diving deep into that, right? Like we, we haven't been diving deep. In fact, we've gone from second edition all the way to fifth edition without really going into that interplane mm-hmm. exit you know existence and whatnot so yeah cool to see that you're coming up with that and that you're yeah. showcasing it more there's in from my research in it and just kind of from playing and stuff there's been a lot of effort put into how are the planes arranged like the the, the great wheel and stuff mm-hmm. like that but very little effort into what are they actually like like what's the personality of them or like what's how does it feel when you're there? Like, it's one thing just to say the water plane is just endless water up and down. Like, no, there's no air above it or anything, but it's like, well, what does that mean? Let's make some yeah, goofy personalities of people who live there. And like, what's that little shop like? And then from that shop, you can extrapolate what does a city or something else look like? Well, just kind of give some approachability to it. Absolutely. Because it's like, okay, you know, you're talking about the little shops, right? So what yeah. would the little shop in the water plane be? Is the, is the water plane just water or is there like, you know, is it like an ocean where you just get dropped in the middle of the ocean or is the, is it like Atlantis where it's like, okay, the, the plane of water is like, it's, it's like, it's Atlantis. You have a bunch of different creatures and stuff living there, but they're all members of you know same thing with like yeah. the, the plane of fire and the and mm-hmm. you know all that stuff like are you are are, are you literally like in a in a in a fire pit type right. thing like how do you design that so mm-hmm. I, I don't know i i think i like that though i like those questions because we we typically as dungeon masters and as storytellers say oh this creature is from the plane right. of fire you yeah, don't get to visit tells more about the creatures than the plane. Correct. And yeah. I think that the only, honestly, from what I know that critical role was the only one that has popularized that where mm-hmm. they, they, they had episodes where they went into the different planes, right. Right. Um, or the elemental planes, excuse me. So how do we look at that? Do we kind of copy that and build upon it? kind of like with software, right? With like open mm-hmm. source software. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, do you do that or do you make your own thing? Um, and kind of going back to the whole spell jammer and the whole, even mm-hmm. let's throw in Planescape. Why not? Yeah. Like, do you build upon it? Right. Or do you start from scratch? Yeah. I personally think that you should build upon it. Like yeah. it's so much easier. And especially like, you know, your dungeon tape, you can build upon what you have yeah. because now you have the time. Now you can, you can set the time. You can set your tape down. Now you have the time to build upon it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have the tape down and maybe you grab a couple of other little things like some scatter terrain. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. There you go. Yep. But now it's like, because you have those other elements, at least from what I'm hearing about your Kickstarter, um, 
now you can try it and you can say, hey, I'm going to actually start writing campaigns around this. Yeah. And I'm going to try, I'm incorporating, like, I'm using the different shops as microcosms of the different planes to kind of explain them. So I've done kind of a fair bit of research on them. Uh, They're all fascinating. My favorite is the earth plane because it's, it's all underground. It's just tunnels, but they're always moving and the earth, like the, it's almost like constant, like tectonic shifts. And so like some, some places like you just get completely cut off. Like if you're low level earth Dinsian, like you're not good at digging, you might just get isolated and starve to death. It reminds me of the lab. So did you ever read any of the Percy Jackson series? No, unfortunately. Um, My my nerd cred is just plummeting through this whole episode. But you're still the Supreme Chancellor, so don't worry. Still the Supreme Chancellor. That's right. That's true. My cred is meaningless because I'm always on top. I'm royalty. That's right. You don't you don't have to worry about it, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Percy Jackson, sorry. No, 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 you're good. But in well, they so Percy Jackson, the the good thing about um the story, the books or whatever, the lore, is that they took Greek mythology and they modernized it, but they also kind of threw in different interpretations. Okay. One of them was the labyrinth, you know, uh the labyrinth of uh where the Minotaur got, you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, yeah how it constant you know their concept was the the labyrinth you know not only you know greece is kind of like that is the homeland that is like (laughs) sacred land that is where everything started but because western civilization moves throughout time western civilization and the thoughts of the and the ideas of that greek mythology holds Mm. went from greece to rome rome to england england to like uh, to the Americas. Mm-hmm. So the labyrinth though, that shifts and completely like, you yeah. know, you, you could go into the labyrinth. You can travel there for a couple of hours, go to a different side of the country and then come back and it's all within minutes. So like, so I, I think that's how I think about the, 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 the earth elemental plane. Yeah, right? that makes where, a lot of sense. And that's something where it's like, okay, but I had to read the book in order to get that idea so that I can do all these things versus, Hey, maybe what we should do as a community is here's this idea. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. Go build upon it. Yeah. Yeah. Not saying I'm not discouraging reading. Everyone should read, but but it's like a good idea. But but all the books that are released like in the future are really just reactions to how the players perceive the books in the past. So if we start building, our own ideas uh, on what these worlds are, that's where they'll go. Like, like this is, that's one remarkable thing about the whole lore and world of D&D. It's not really just like guy I sat down and wrote every instance, like he started it and then people built on it. And then the, the company's D&D like built on what people had already built. And it's just kind of evolved. Yep. Especially, so, especially in third edition. Yeah. Yeah. That's when the open that that's when they took the open gaming license mm-hmm. and just kind of ran with it because I forget what the name of the person work they were working for the for wizards and mm-hmm. they saw what they were doing with open source software uh, from mm-hmm. a tech side so they were like oh we should do that with gaming and yeah. then that's what happened that's so cool and and it is it is because that this this is how you get fifth mm-hmm. edition Star Wars this is how you get yeah. fifth edition Pokemon this is how and- you get- Everything. And actually, uh, Quake did the exact same thing, right? 
I Quake, think so. Quake went open source and that spawned a lot of, uh, I guess Half-Life was probably the first one. Half-Life yeah. was like one of the first open source uh, first person shooters and that spawned all sorts of like awesome games. Yep. And, and in no way did it diminish Half-Life. And in no way did the open source diminish D&D. It only enhanced it because really it's just a football that's being passed before, back and forth between company and people. Yep. And it just keeps absorbing bits of both. And I would even say it's, you know, talking about that analogy, it's like you created the first and original football. So yeah. there's a lot of value in there. But then when you pass it to the other company, now they see and they say, oh, we can make this better. We yeah. can build upon it. And yeah. then it gets passed and passed and passed. And then yeah. it just builds something even better. Yeah. The first football was actually a perfect cube. And whenever you pass it, it's like, all right, well, we need to file off some of these edges. And it just keeps getting refined until it's the perfect football shape. Exactly. Hey, why are you passing a rock? This is kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe this should be hollow so it's lighter. Yeah. That's it's like, a good idea. It's like the reverse idea of telephone. It just like you slightly gets better every time and not worse. <laughs> well that that's because of some things that uh that takes that will take another few episodes to explain <laughs> yeah um, um but yeah no I'm, I'm very excited about this kickstarter i'm glad that you kind of the idea comes across i'm glad that you kind of dig it no i really like it man when's it launching i'm hoping i'm going back and i'm trying to get some of the artwork done i'm hoping to launch it in about three weeks so oh, it'll be beginning of march is what okay. I'm shooting for. Okay. Um, barring any big uh, details, I'm, I've got one or two surprises in for the Kickstarter rewards, and I'm really okay. excited about them. Sweet. Uh, they are dealing with helping make more fun and believable uh, NPCs and PCs. Gotcha. It's like kind of uh, not, not change. They're not like backstory generators, but they're like little attribute generators. So like, okay you kind of random tables for people you're like oh your character is missing three fingers and then like it has no effect on your backstory but that's something that the other players know and so in the game they'd be like hey uh johan like why do you why were you missing three fingers so it just encourages improv yeah that's man that's awesome because i've been i've been looking actually that's some of the stuff that i've been kind of mulling over where it's like okay how can we create a backstory yeah that doesn't necessarily alter some sort of mechanic but it's a flavor text yeah. right yeah we can we can definitely create something for, with that has a mechanical ability or capability but wouldn't it be cool if kind of like what you said yeah. oh yeah you were an acolyte yeah well what does that mean mm-hmm. who were you an acolyte for who were you an apprentice right. for even better you were denounced as a head scribe so you got some skills Mm-hmm. Huh, maybe we can role play that. Maybe we can talk about that. Maybe yeah. we can convince our DM to let you be the head scribe and you can write down a bunch of stuff because mm-hmm. I need someone to write down spells for me in different languages. Yeah. So I can yeah. cast a spell in Goblin and it may be more powerful. Mm-hmm. Some, you, but again, that little detail can just propel um, ideas and thoughts. So that's Absolutely. really cool. That's the, so my theory is you have like three random tables for every new character, whether it's PC or NPC. Uh-huh. And the three tables determine one, one attribute of yours that other people can see, such as like the missing fingers. Okay. One attribute that they, uh, one motivation that they can't see. And then one is something you're hiding from them. Uh, an example of that one would be like, 
you pad your shoes so you look taller and then you get to improv like why you do that and it kind of comes out over time that and i want them to all be like fairly inconsequential as far as like story hooks Uh but really consequential when it comes to like your motivations like what does your character do just like when talking to a city guard Mm -hmm. and i think half of this is just um me being trying to make products for me because I ex- I love making big long like intricate backstories, but then Same whenever here. the DM's just like, so the guard walks up and it's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh god, I don't know what my character's voice is. Like, I know yeah. his internal motivation, but like, why is he here? I don't know. And so I kind of like need that. And so I'm making these random tables as kind of um, an assistance to making you know, the personality of your character. Well, yeah, it's like prompts and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And I like that a lot, man. I, you know, I'm, I, I got some things in my mind that I'm like, dang, like, how can we, you know, do more of that? And honestly, yeah. that's awesome that you're doing that. That's a really cool thing because we need more of it. Mm-hmm. Mechanics cool. can always be created. Yeah. I'm trying to do all, I, I want to be like the anti-mechanic in D and D. It's just like, I support that. I support yeah. that. I, because just go on Reddit and you'll find someone with some sort of mechanic and some sort of whatever. Yeah. But tell me if you can find some sort of world building, story building, character building asset that's going to help you be more interesting yeah. as a character. And, and I'm excited about this. I don't, I haven't talked to the person, so I don't want to like give any names away, but I'm working with someone who's become kind of a friend of mine in the D and D community. And uh, this will be a this will be a reward for the Kickstarter people, but it'll also be nice. a product. I hopefully it'll be a product that that person can sell and going forward in the future. Mm-hmm. And so we should see more and more additions of like these random like PC and PC tables that'll help out. Like I think it'll be really cool. Well, I'm excited for that, man. Mm-hmm. That's going to be really dope. And you know, I'll make sure because that will be in your uh, website link. Yes. Yeah. It'll be, we'll, we'll, well give it to my website and Instagram. Instagram is where most of the information will come out, but yeah. Cool. So I'll give, I'll make sure to have links to both as always. And, mm-hmm. and obviously you got to come back on um, when the Kickstarter happens so that we can talk about it more as well. Oh, yeah. So Absolutely. yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on folks. Be sure to follow dungeon tape on Instagram, but all those fabulous links will be down below in the description man joshua i really appreciate uh, i appreciate you coming on i can't speak today oh it's um, it's just because i'm royalty and you're nervous that's i know i'm i'm nervous in your presence so i love that this was an inside joke but like before we started today and <laughs> no one has understands it just oh yeah dungeon type guy yeah he's royalty sure why not yeah sure whatever we'll keep <laughs> listening tell us more though about what you think about Spelljammer. Mm-hmm. no but seriously um i appreciate you being on man oh, i really my pleasure it's always fun to have you on. It's always a hoot, as they as mm-hmm. they say. It is a hoot. No, Brian, this is like one of the funnest things I, I, I do anymore. I, I love coming on your podcast. It's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. And you know, yeah. um, you're always welcome back. And you will be back because of the Kickstarter, because yeah. I want to hear more about it. Absolutely. But folks, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please be sure to follow Dungeon Tape on Instagram. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review. And as always, folks, be kind and com- com- ugh, kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Damn, man, I can't speak. <laughs> Even when I'm trying to give a heartfelt outro. Uh, be kind and compassionate, y'all. Mm-hmm.